All right. Let's talk about issue 18. They're stalking behind comic scenes, behind the comic scenes. Mark J and Tim, it's the spin-off that has survived. There's no yawning to find the meaning. Is it good? Is it shite? G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe, Frontline on. Talking Joe. So, 18. 18 is Recipe for Destruction, a roadblock spotlight issue. The creative team for this issue, which came out in December 2003, are Story, Mike Norton and Tim Seeley. Writer, Tim Seeley, returning for writing credits this issue after his art the previous issue. Pencils, Mike Norton, inks, Clayton Brown and colours, Brett R. Smith. Letters are Dreamer Design and Graphic Design is Mike Norton. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So over to the covers. Cover We have two covers again. Cover A is Tim Seeley. It's, it's kind of in the style of a roadblock uh, mint on card action figure. Uh, roadblock heavy machine gunner live cooking show host complete with pug and uh, george foreman style grill accessory and cover b is mike norton andrew pepoy and brett r smith again it is a front and back cover this time featuring roadblock on the front being assailed by a bunch of dread knocks so cover B does something interesting where the foreground elements, right? The dreadnoughts up close to the camera. I don't mean the camera you can see behind the logo. I mean the camera, our eyeball. They are mostly knocked out in blue. And then roadblock is basically yellow. And so you have this very clear separation of elements. But there's some crazy, like like the star that our planet Earth orbits or a volcano. There's some crazy light source just above Monkey Wrench's left hand, which I think is the like uh, red light that, that they're recording. Although there's also already an on-air light over the doorway or mirror, <laughs> I can't tell, above Roadblock's head. Could be, could be a bright studio light, Tim. Okay, yeah. Okay, so... I think the idea here is that there's like another studio light sort of where we are aiming down at roadblock. And I like the idea of like dramatic colors and a knockout, like everything in the foreground is blue, right? There's sort of a house style in, at Marvel right now, like in most of the X-Men comics, like anything in the in extreme foreground is purple. But uh, this is way, way overbaked. Like roadblock looks like he's just made out of gold or bronze or copper and He's too shiny, too shiny, even for like super dramatic, like exaggeration of this cover, which has unusual color uh, with these blues. Um, cover A is multimedia because there's a, a thumb and a bit of a hand on the left side holding this mock-up. It's not a real 
It's not a real action figure, like mint on card custom. It's it's a Photoshop job to look like it. But we have a, a real gloved hand on the left side and then a real texture of a, of a wall, like a brick wall behind it. And then a real photograph of a of a roadblock figure behind a photoshopped sort of invention of the like clear blister and then uh just pencil art that's been colored for the uh package art with the explosion behind this civilian version of of roadblock i love the idea of this i I don't think it entirely works um mostly because the uh the drawing of roadblock for the card art where he's got a chef's hat and an apron and he's holding these two accessories um, is pencil art that's been colored and the like the Photoshop painting of the pug and the George Foreman style grill. It's like you need this to be photorealistic. Like you need sort of that very high level of like I could reach out and touch it. Um, so this cover for me uh, is, isn't is more than the sum of its parts. I'm very aware of it as individual parts, but I appreciate the attempt and and it's it's a it's a fun try. I like this one a lot. Um, I don't have the other ones. So I don't know for sure what it looks like, but I I, I really do like the the cover A with the toy package. Um, would have been awesome if they could have got somebody like Hector Grito or someone that could do a, a passable effort to to make the card art for that. But uh, just the little touches. Uh, and and look at how the pug and the grill are at the bottom of the of the the window thing. You know because you know gravity. Uh, they're not just like floating in midair, which I could see somebody not thinking about that and, and just having them in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, the the photo of the glove uh, kind of takes you out of it. I'm really not big on photo covers. But then you also have kind of the, you know, the, the roadblock figure inside the package is obviously manipulated photo. So it kind of helps to, you know, to sell it as this is a real object. Uh, I, I'm with Tim. It's it's not perfect, but I, I like the attempt. So it's worth calling out as well that when this was collected, there was a frontline uh, trade paperback called Frontline One Shots, which collected all of these uh, these one and dones. And on the front cover to that, it ha- features Zanya on the uh, Zanya as the, the the star, sort of legs up uh, on top of uh, some sort of bank of consoles, and in the, in the background. Uh, most of the other characters on on the screen so uh, beachhead stalker and co and uh yeah worth pointing out that it's drawn by stefano caselli who was uh, a rising star and would later go on to be the uh, the main artist for the book when it relaunches as gi joe america's elite as well as uh, drawing uh, some of the brandon joe uh, master apprentice books Sort of my overall comment for this this comic book is that both of these are unusual covers for a final issue, and this yeah. is an unusual f- issue for a final issue, and it feels like Devils Do ran out of steam or had sort of um, this this sounds more negative than I mean it to, but it like had burned off their inventory. It's like well, you know, it's like well we we had we had all four of these issues written by. Brandon Jerwa, let's run it weekly. Like, oh, we've got four more issues. Oh, we're out. We're done. Let's stop publishing this. (laughs) Um, And there's a note in the letters page, the final reply from 
Chris Crank, the uh, the editor who runs the letters page. Uh, it's true that this is the last issue of Frontline for now. This book is taking a, uh, a break for a bit with plans to have it returned later in 2004. Which it never did. Which it never did. I think we can piece together some things we've heard from our Brandon Jerwa, Dan Jolly, and Josh Blaylock interviews that like, okay... We're two years in. This this comes out uh, the same month, I think, as G.I. Joe 26. And, you know, it's, it's cover dated late 2003. So it's probably coming out in, like, October of 2003. And the Devil's Due team is uh, a little tired, stretched a little thin. They've expanded into all these other books, you know, like Micronauts and uh, Voltron and two G.I. Joe books and this Transformers crossover and uh, some of the other stuff that's like Josh Blaylock's like own character. Was it is it misplaced? Is that the one with the like the punk woman? And they're uh, launch and they're launching a new G.I. Joe ongoing. Right, right. Which is the next sentence in that uh, comment at the end of the letters page. Uh uh, fear not for your G.I. Joe addiction, however, as we'll be continuing to bring the regular monthly arcs plus the new series, G.I. Joe Reloaded, which starts with the Reborn one-shots in January. Um, so, and and Blaylock said that, you know, the relationship with Hasbro, it was never as smooth as it could have been. And, you know, like, it's right around this time that he stops writing the monthly book. And he's like... I'm exaggerating here, working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, so it makes sense to me that they stopped publishing Frontline, even if they could have kept publishing Frontline. The other thing that we should remember is that uh, sales of comics changed between fall 2000 and fall 2003. There was, um, I'm trying to, I think there was another sort of a bit of a, a, bu- of a bubble burst no, I, I think we've heard this in sort of our Devil's Due research where, you know, G.I. Joe launched huge and... Mm-hmm. And sort um, of gradually tape, tapers off as, you know, you get past issue one and, and you're now getting into the 20s, say yeah. the front line issue one, and now you're into the, you know, late teens. Typically, you see a, you know, big bang with issue one and then and then the, the, the readership declines slowly, which is why... You constantly see comics being rebooted with a new issue one to try and engage new readership. Or to pull back in yeah. recently lapsed readership. Um, so I don't know what ish, I don't know what story you would tell. I mean, I guess actually, uh, I'm glad they didn't do this, but in, in the sort of like publishing logic of Frontline, how do you provide a cap at the end of Frontline, you have like Larry Hama come back and do one more like short story and something about it feels like another either bridge between the old continuity and the Devil's Due continuity or you like have Roadblock or whoever's in this final issue do something or say something that slightly leads back into say issue 26 as opposed to like, well, we were publishing this side series of like slightly out of continuity stories and then we stopped publishing it now we've stopped bye <laughs> like that okay so so that's the this the context around this issue uh what actually happens on the inside jay are you able to tell us i'm gonna try 
In Los Angeles, Super Chef Supreme and G.I. Joe Heavy Machine Gunner Marvin Hinton, aka Roadblock, is about to film a live episode of his TV show, Kiss Your Mama Home Cooking. At Joe HQ, Firewall and Russian Transplant Diana, formerly of the October Guard, sit down with a big bowl of popcorn to watch the show. In another part of the base, Mainframe is following financial transactions he believes are linked to Cobra. Two weeks later, Roadblock's producer introduces him to his new co-host, Fran Drescher, or I mean Mona Butcher and her little dog too. Back at Joe HQ, Mainframe has succeeded in hacking into extensive enterprises and begins investigating their financials. He discovers they're feeding men money into a dummy corporation. At extensive enterprises in New York City, the Crimson Twins share some terrible dialogue and Tomax tells Zaymoth that someone has discovered one of their relocation schemes, the television network that airs Roadblock's cooking show. Zaymoth tells Tomax to purge their computer system and have the Dreadnoughts trash the TV studio. Back in LA, it's time for another episode of Kiss Your Mama Home Cooking with Roadblock, Mona Butcher, and her little dog too. During the filming of the episode, Mona's dog, who is lactose intolerant, eats an entire bowl of whipped cream sauce and becomes violently ill, throwing up in Roadblock's face just as the Dreadnoughts show up. The Dreadnoughts begin trashing the studio. Heartwrencher smashes Roadblock in the back of the head with a huge wrench and he goes down. Burnout steps up to the fallen Joe is about to put a bullet in the back of his head when Mona Butcher appears, sick dog held high. The portly pug drenches Burnout in a sea of vomit. Roadblock gets up and with Mona's help is it able to defeat the Dreadnoughts and get a plug-in for the Marvin Hinton Grill at the same time. Back at Joe HQ, Firewall and Diana, who are again watching the live show, erupt in laughter. The next day, Roadblock's producer tells him they are retooling the show. It will now be called Cooking with Kung Fu Grip, and every week he will fight a new menace using cooking utensils with Mona's help. Very good. Thank you, Jay. So I think, you know, often when we're looking at these issues, we are thinking to ourselves, you know, what is unique about this particular issue? And it feels like the the unique thing about this issue is that it's pretty much an out and out, pretty broad G.I. Joe comedy. And uh, I can't recall an issue before this point, and, and I'm tr- struggling to remember uh, any since that, uh, you know, would be defined as a comedy issue in the way that that this one is seems like it would be more suited for an episode of the tv show Mm. yeah so and when i was writing the plot breakdown that was kind of the way that i thought of it and and like at at first i was thinking to myself i was like oh okay well this is you know like a half hour sitcom or or whatever and then i thought well wait a minute this (laughs) doesn't all take place during the first filming because i'm like that couldn't have all happened and then i hit the two weeks later and then i kind of thought well, wait, did they screw up and have Diana and Firewall? And so I checked to make sure they were wearing different clothes. At least they've got different clothes or, <laughs> right. or Diana does, you know, so it's not like a, a real bad continuity gaff where you got them watching the same show two weeks later or, or something. Yeah, it, it works. Um, but yeah, I, it, it feels like a like an episode of a of a of the TV show. I thought it was fun. Tim Seeley has an affinity for 1980s stuff right this isn't shocking lots of lots of people in their 40s in comics right now do but um, and you know and he made he made his his name as a sort of creator outside of gi joe with um with hack slash which is kind of a throwback to like 80s horror comedies you know yes and uh he had a pitch a, a friend of mine draws comics for 
publishers and Seeley contacted him and had a pitch and wanted to do a comic with him that was a very particular 1980s pastiche and uh, it, it didn't work out. Um, and then certainly like Seeley's, you know, like connection to G.I. Joe demonstrates uh, this interest in in a lot of these 80s uh, characters and tropes. And in looking at this issue, I agree with you guys. This is definitely an episode of the show. This is not an issue of the comic. But strangely, it's half an episode from the Marvel Productions, Sunvo Productions run. Half this is a Deke episode. Uh, and and I will I will point out a particular moment later on, which like screams like this is from a Deke episode. And this is one more sort of way in that like it, it's such a strange final issue for this series. And it's not a final issue. It's just the last one they happen to publish because it doesn't really connect to sort of the rest of Devil's Do's uh, timeline or, or, or take on G.I. Joe. Jay, you mentioned that it's Diana who's sitting with uh, Firewall. How do you know it's Diana? She calls her that. Does she? Yeah. When? Um, at least one one panel. Well, even on the first page, she's they're sitting there talking, and she's like, uh, "Is this fun for Americans?" And then, oh, okay, all right. This is fun. This is fun for Americans. And then, if you all turn right. the page, the the dialogue overlaps. She made a joke or something, and. On the top of the next page, it says, good one, Diana. Okay. All right. Well, uh, uh, it's following on from the Cabal series where uh, Diana, um, yeah, joins up with the I want to be a Joe now. Right. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, color me embarrassed for for missing that detail. I missed missed that her name gets called out, uh, but I thought, oh, it's Lady J because she has short hair, I guess. And it's it's Uh, a nice piece of like continuity in the book as well that we're actually sort of seeing a, a you know, a through line from previous issues so. of Devil's Due into this and sort of quietly progressing that little storyline. Yeah. All right. So uh, when I open the comic book, something on the inside front cover and something on the first page that I really, really like and I really, really don't. The first panel of this comic book. Here come the nitpickers, Timmy Finn, analytical prankster, Timmy Finn, picking holes in your colouring, Timmy Finn, still loved you, Joe, Timmy Finn. No, no, he. If you are wondering, if you're like, all right, I know Tim complains a lot about colouring in comics, but I want to really like, like, give me a new example, right? Okay, everyone, the first panel of the first page of this comic book, GI Joe Frontline 18. This is very bad coloring, and here's why. On the right side between the two buildings, the sun is setting. And yet, the side of the buildings that has the, the letters, like TVLA and, and the larger windows, those sides of the buildings are, are all brighter than the sides of the buildings that are perpendicular, right? So like the wall with the four smaller windows, and then these uh, like palm trees and sort of bushes have this like very ugly, busy, just looks like an out of focus photograph of a giant pile of emeralds. This like, and then there's this, there's this highlight on the three windows of this car, right? 
this is not the color of light or the amount of light or the like shape of light that would be anywhere on this car, the trees, the building based on that sunset. And this color artist put that sunset there, right? And then, so it's, it's, all, it's all internally inconsistent. And yet in the second panel, there's actually a really nice choice, which is for the light of the sunset coming into this hallway and hitting that like front desk where you'd check in and then hitting the wall behind it with that uh, doorway as if it's coming in just through a window down the hallway to the right that we can't see. So within two panels, there's a really like pretty and nice decision right below like a, a pretty gradient in the sky behind everything and a like very, very bad uh, uh, careless decision everywhere else in the panel. The thing that I like, um, the inside front cover, uh, which is all designed by Mike Norton, the graphic designer, the art, like art director at, at Devil's Do, um, looks like the uh, nutrition facts label that you see on the side or the bottom of all food packaging in America, right? The font is 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 right. The kerning and leading uh, is, is, is almost perfect or close enough. Um, it's funny. It looks good. And it relates to the issue. And we have seen a couple times some very handsome inside front covers on G.I. Joe Frontline. Yeah, that inside front cover is nice. I, I noticed that. I mean, obviously. And uh, it, it, it works. You know, like you said, it's, it's just, boom, instantly recognizable, you know, for almost anyone. Uh, and, you know, cooking episode. Or issue, and, and this this issue follows on from a pinup which is shown on the bottom of page one, the 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 poster of Roblox there with Kiss Your Mama Home Home Cooking, which uh, is by Mike Norton, which featured as a pinup in the in a very early issue of the Devil's Due series, so sort of uh, the genesis oh, yeah. there of a, a funny little idea, you know being spun off into uh, into its own issue some time later. Curious uh, for, for this ish, issue, uh, we've got you know, sp- quite a big spotlight on the dreadnoks alongside uh, Roadblock, and in, in particular, the introduction of two new dreadnoks, the, the female dreadnok, Heartwrench, um, who does uh, re- reappear, and then the, uh, the little... Sort of flavor flavor style uh, dreadnought with the massive hat uh, top hat called rug rat uh, and i can't recall if he does uh, reappear anywhere or or not and i think that uh, i might be imagining this but i think that heart um heart wrench did become a figure when does heart wrench show up again in the comics she, I think in the, I think in the Tim Seeley penciled issues by uh, Brandon Jera, she makes a, a reappearance. Okay. All right, so, and so she, we, and she we haven't makes, seen her yet in this on this podcast. No, no, and okay. she does make a reappearance in uh, the Zartan uh, and Dreadnought issues in the Chuck Dixon verse um, over at uh, IDW. She's sort of uh, the, she's kind of Zartan's girlfriend in inverted commas in uh, in a couple of issues uh, there when when we're introduced to the to the dreadnoks out in the outback in australia if you can add two letters her name is heart wrencher not, <laughs> okay. not, not just heart wrench uh 
And she she does and she does get an action figure. It was uh, looks like it was back in 2018. GI Joe Collectors Club uh, exclusive Heart Wrencher coming with the Dreadnought Ground Assault Stinger. Who are the other two Dreadnoughts? Go to page 12 when you've got you've got them peeking around the corner. There's Burnout Nagahide. Is that Road Pig in the back? And who's the other guy? Are these just like new characters we've got some unnamed ones we've kind of got a giant kind of russian facial scarred kind of dreadnought and a punky looking vest top and braces with mohawk uh character uh who who don't appear to be named and i i suspect probably never appear again okay i feel like the uh the one with the scar i feel like i'm getting a little bit of a popeye vibe from him you, you guys know how in uh, uh you know bibbo from the superman yeah comics, yeah 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 like he's that's... just he, he's just popeye uh and he also shows up in the the 1997 animated series i feel a little bit like this is basically sort of gi joe doing popeye because i th- i can't tell if it's a sailor's hat or a, sort of a very particular yeah, right. haircut but um, one of his eyes is closed, right? And Popeye doesn't have a scar on his face. But in the world of Dreadnoughts, why might you have your eye half closed? Uh, and he's really, really big. Uh, he just says, er, <laughs> which, 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 could, which could correspond to Popeye sort of muttering to himself in the 1930s flight of curtains. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be the Dreadnought Sailor Man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe he's like anchor away or something. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, something I appreciate about, uh, Mike Norton's pencils here. Uh, he draws a very big, very tall roadblock. Mm-hmm. And on page three, when pages two and three, when roadblock is standing in front of his producer, he is, uh, three heads taller than her. And if it seems like sort of too much of an exaggeration, you know, like in the story of G.I. Joe, Roblox is like 6'2 or 6'3 or 6'4. And, uh, you know, I think we've all seen like people in offices or like television producers who are like 5'2. And uh, there, there's a wonderful artist who has drawn a lot of G.I. Joe comics for the monthly A Real American Hero who... Uh, like never quite got roadblock to be sort of taller and beefier than the other Joes. And, and this, and here it is back in, uh, back in 2003, a very tall, very big uh, roadblock. Um, I also, going back to our, our point about um, this being an episode of the comic, some of roadblocks dialogue rhymes. Ah. So in the way that, in the way that the devils do run is a slight mixture of, the animated continuity, like with extensive, not just Tom X and Zamod, but extensive enterprises, for example, this is, this is doing that. Yeah. I'm big and tall and I'll cook for y'all. That kind of thing. Nice. I spy with my little eye. But for me, I've got, um, I spies. And, and I think a big part of this issue is just like little fun nods and sort of cameos and uh, that that kind of thing. So it's a lot of a uh, kind of knowing winks of you know who might that character be. What you know, let's drop someone in the someone in the background. Uh, that that kind of thing. So you've got kind of on page one, painting by the numbers with Willie Wilderman or something. 
you know, sort of a Bob Ross style character. You know, you've got let's you know inclusion of kind of background characters like Dana in in there, but but also sort of just walking along the corridor. You'll see in the background Airwave from Sky Patrol with uh, uh, alongside Scoop, who another character that uh, we haven't seen yet in Devil's Due continuity. I wondered who those guys were. <laughs> oh, okay. It's it. I thought it was Freefall, but you're right. It's Scoop, sort of colored wrong, like Freefall. Well, of course he's colored wrong. He's is he colored? He's not colored that wrong. Well, like, I mean, he's he's brown, not yellow, and he's he's gray, not green. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or wait, oh, you know what? I think this is Night Force Scoop. Yeah, there you yeah. go. It's it's not wanting to be shot at as much Scoop uh, variant. <laughs> <laughs> and and another little another little touch that I like was just a couple of pages over was uh, Tomax and Zaymok. You know he's he's got one of them uh, Zaymok because he's got a scar. Um, is is getting uh, uh, an executive massage there from his executive assistant, and uh, they've also got a Tele Viper there, a female Tele Viper, and you know he's he's leaning over her screen and twiddling her her fair hair. So it's sort of somewhat evocative to the kind of office environment that uh, Tomax and Zaymot might be running up there in their, their no good extensive enterprises. It's funny that the female Telever- Televipers uniform has cleavage. It, it kind of <laughs> made me think of the short miniskirts in classic Trek. I, I actually had a problem with this. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's really, it is bad. This like the uh, Halloween costume. You'll have you'll have a Freddy Krueger for Halloween costume, and then you'll have for the for the girls a sexy Freddy Krueger. Right. <laughs> yeah, I actually have uh, three problems with this page, the Tom Axe and Zaymot page with the two women at Extensive Enterprises. Earlier in our episode, Jay was making the point that uh, in in Tim Seeley's earlier in Tim in artist Tim Seeley's earlier GI Joe work, there are a lot of straight shots where we're like not far enough away to fully understand how a space is populated and a page comes across as boring. And these are my words, boring and underdrawn and exciting that issue 17 with Beachhead. Uh, there's, there's much, much less of that. Um, this page, it sort of looks like Mike Norton is like doing a Tim Seeley impression. This page is really boring and underwhelming and um, Ooh, harsh. And and it's like well Tim it's, it's just like four pe- two people and two other people talking in office yeah this page is really boring um, is. the uh, the televipers cleavage I'm bothered by it because like cool finally like a random woman soldier uh, cobra soldier or viper or televiper in all of this uh, all this like world of GI Joe and it isn't like a special episode like spell of the siren where the Baroness puts all the men in Joe and Cobra under her control and you need to have some women soldiers, otherwise the story doesn't work. This is just like some random, and Mark makes a good point that there's there's a comment here about like toxic masculinity in the workplace. At the same time, even though we're not like, the Televiper isn't like leaning over the desk and spilling her uh, breasts onto the desk for the benefit of the male gaze of the male reader, that cleavage doesn't make any sense. Like. The Televiper costume doesn't do that. And even though her breasts are blocked by the clothing, the cropping of the panel, and the computer monitor, still very subtly this feels like a dude drawing a hot babe and like sort of like chuckling that he got away with it. Obvious cleavage. So so this panel is this part of this panel is dumb. Uh, And then uh, the panel below it, 
I like the idea of Zemot getting an executive massage. Um, but remember there was an earlier issue of uh, G.I. Joe where, uh, help me out, um, Flint and Baroness are surrounded by random bad guys, but only one of them is sort of like visible and, and sort of specific. And it's like a white bald guy. And I made the joke like, oh, they're surrounded by Professor Xavier. Right. So, yeah, that was the cover of one of the cabal issues. Okay, thank you. First one. All right. So even though this is a bit character here giving Zaymod a massage and uh, doesn't have dialogue, we never see it again, shouldn't matter. It's like, folks, if you have a scene in a G.I. Joe comic, particularly in a Cobra office, and there's a woman with round glasses and long black hair, I'm going to think it's the Baroness. Yeah. So even though it's like, well, Tim, it's obviously not the Baroness. It's like, well, once I read the context of the page, yes, I'm... 95% 95% sure it's not the Baroness. But when I see this page, I'm thinking, oh, the Baroness is here. What's she doing? Well, that's weird. And then I'm distracted and taken out of the story. So, you know, it's like if you draw a Spider-Man comic and you have like an old lady with a very particular like like gray hairdo, you're like, oh, it's Aunt May. It's like, no, if you're going to draw some other old lady in a Spider-Man comic, she has to have like very different hair or different skin, different clothes. So... Uh, so anyway, uh, I don't, I don't like this page. Um, in terms of getting back to sort of uh, story and the overall issue, uh, Jay, Jay used the term sitcom, right? And this is very situation and comedy, (laughs) right? So, uh, okay. Uh, I, I, I'll jump to the end. I don't love this issue. Uh, I appreciate the attempt to make a very different issue, a funny issue, a different kind of roadblock uh, spotlight issue. Um, I don't think the Dreadnought attack works. There aren't any stakes. And if I was roadblock, I would be much more, I would be concerned in a different way and much more concerned. His reaction is sort of this, this is like, uh, like six random vandals. It's like, Hmm. no, roadblock. Do you remember that terrorist organization that you guys <laughs> defeated and then you disbanded and they, but like, also I'm not quite sh- like, I don't, I don't know quite in the timeline, you know, cause the Joes were sort of partly called back to active duty or like inactive passive duty during reinstated. So it's like, is Roadblock completely out or is he like um, stalker or like Flint and Lady J or Scarlet where he's sort of half back as a civilian, but also like half the time a Joe so I don't really know from this, but it's like, hey, retired Joe, there are two Cobra guys in your studio. And he like, like sort of the best he can do is make a reference to like um, Jinx's weapon because he's using a uh, like a boom, a microphone boom sort of as like Jinx's weapon that comes with mm-hmm. her action figure. Um, it's like, hey, Roblox, Cobra just attacked your job. And and then the, the sort of like the running gag of his producer who tells her camera operator to keep shooting because, you know, like America television audiences like want to fight. And this is like live and real. Um, and it's like, yes, I think there are jokes to be made here about like low budget television, local or regional television, uh, the um, the risks of a live broadcast um, that Roadblock is like a celebrity or a wannabe celebrity and that some other Joes would watch it and like think it's silly or 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 make fun of him, but also enjoy it. 
Um, I think the idea, like the joke on the final page, it's like, okay, it's certainly consistent with this issue's tone. Um, and if I can click into that, it's like a funny way to end this story, both as a visual and as a, 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 a written um, punchline. But I'm not ever impressed in like TV or movies when like someone uses a baby or a pet that's vomiting as a prop <laughs> or a weapon, right? You like, didn't like the boys? Uh, Did you watch that? Uh, I, have, I have not seen. I have not seen the boys. Oof. There's a killer scene in there. If anybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, and then um, there, there. I think all the stuff with Roblox is like on the line, but basically fine. It's like okay, and like Fran Drescher joins the show. Like that's that's a little silly, but you know, like conflict makes drama. So what would Roadblock do with a co-host? But then the stuff with um, Mainframe, like Mainframe, it's like once again. It's like, this is the second time this has happened in the Devil's Do G.I. Joe where someone's like, I want to be cool like Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is the coolest Joe. It's like, no. Everyone who's writing G.I. Joe comics, that's how I, the fan, toy buyer, kid, reader feels. That's not how a Joe feels because Joes don't have inferiority complexes. Joes are all the best of the best and they're all incredibly capable. In fact, you might say they're experts. And like... Yes, you can be grateful on a mission that Snake Eyes is there because he's the best of the best of the best. Or he can do some things that you can't do because you're just like a parachute guy or a like uh, explosives expert guy. And Snake Eyes is a ninja commando with a wolf. But like mainframe, like talking to himself (laughs) and then like catching it. And then, like, standing up and taking a silly pose and, yeah, like, narrating bad. that he's cool. Like, that's embarrassing. And uh, there's no version of G.I. Oh, oh, wait, but there is. It's the Deke episodes, right? So the reason why this issue, why I didn't, like, grumble and, like, toss it aside and, like, just put a big X on my notes for the, this podcast. <laughs> the reason why I'm, like, okay with this issue is because we have seen very silly gi joe uh the first season uh, of deke's gi joe which i call season three and everyone else calls series two season one um the first season right which starts with operation Dragonfire, is uh i think it's i think it's 24 episodes total that is a little uh a little less serious than the sunbow gi joe it's the final season of gi joe where uh, cobra commander is back in blue that it just becomes all uh, silly. And what like hurts even more is there are like music cues for like when like Naugahyde is like, I don't know, like slipping on a banana peel, that kind of thing. Uh, or like Metalhead is like talking about how he's going to blow something up and he like blows up the wrong thing by accident. And then Cobra Commander is like, Metalhead, you nitwit! It's like, ugh, these are terrorists. These are like bad guys. And... Uh, near the end of the issue after the Dreadnoughts attack, Nagahide is looking at two cans of grease, vegetable shortening, right? So like Crisco. And he says, uh, he says, must be like prey, be part of the environment. And he's got all this like grease, this shortening on his hands while Roadblock is like punching the, um, uh, the uh, Mohawk Dreadnought. And then at the beginning of the next page, Roadblock turns and he says, uh, that's that snake. So what you waiting for? And he sees Nagahide, who's holding a, a meat tenderizer and a, a, a knife. 
and Nagahai says, I'm going to poach your eyes, Joe, which is actually pretty, pretty fierce for Deke. Um, and Nagahai is like glistening and he doesn't have his vest on and he jumps at Roadblock and he hits him in the arm with the meat tenderizer. And then, I'm sorry, this might be the worst G.I. Joe panel ever in G.I. Joe comics. Roadblock, I, I think he's trying to grab, but he just looks like he runs past. And Roadblock is narrating himself. And Roadblock says, where'd you go? Uh, because Nagahide is like literally four inches on his left. But I guess he's so slippery that Roadblock couldn't grab him to, I don't know, pick him up. And this just feels like, not, not like the silly Deke episodes from 1991. This feels like, the like unwatchable Hanna-Barbera animation of the 1970s where everyone is stupid, nothing interesting happens, and there are no stakes. You keep on saying that there's there's no stakes. There's clearly one on the front cover, right? <laughs> right on the package. Right next to the Marvin Hinton grill. Right on the package. <laughs> so again, like reading this issue didn't make me angry. Um, I have I have burned off a lot of frustration with like the devil's due era from like doing these uh, uh, episodes. <laughs> and certainly this issue like this, the, here, here, here's, I don't mean in terms of the story. I mean, in terms of publishing the, the stakes, the like value <laughs> are like much oh, less, oh, okay. much less um, high and lofty and risky in like the final issue of frontline, which just reads like a fill in issue, then say mm-hmm. like reinstated where it's like, Oh my God, please get this right. Please get this right. Uh, because this is in- internally consistent uh, and like fun but silly, yeah, I, I don't mind this. But uh, I- I'm never going to like recommend this issue to anyone. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of the way I would you at recommend it. Like, you an were- issue of Geo Joe to read? Yep, this one. You were going to point now. Special missions two. Oh, I kind of agree with you. You know, you were going through pointing out. Well, this is this is this wouldn't happen. This is illogical. This is you know inconsistent. But it just the whole thing just reads like an episode of of the cartoon you know maybe maybe deke or sunbow combined like you said but there were things in those where you know it was like storytelling shorthand that that we were able to just forgive because okay it worked for the story move on as long as it's not uh, you know anything real offensive or or illogical we're able to go with it uh yeah there's there's some silly stuff in here but i thought overall it worked uh yeah i thought it was you know it was fun uh, I'm, I'm with you i wouldn't necessarily say oh, oh this is the one you got to read uh it'd probably be the almost last one on the list but uh, it, it was it was fun it was it was more fun than the last one i i know i just talked for several minutes in a row i just want to get in one more very quick thought if you want a sense of gi joe animation that deals with live television and is funny and smart about it, but there are still stakes, and the bad guys are bad. Uh, watch Cobrathon, the episode from 1986, the season two episode, mm. where Cobra is fundraising live. Yeah, like just it's it, they're just hosting a telethon for people to call in and <laughs> give them money. Um, it's hilarious. And. and my favorite thing to do is to compare the, the Sunbow episodes and the Deke episodes. Because if you squint and turn your head sideways, you can see where a Deke episode, if you did like three things differently, or like a couple of them, if you had just like magically the voice actors from the original episodes, like re-record a Deke episode, everyone would be fine with it. 
Um, but it's sort of the like double, triple, quadruple whammy of like the animation isn't as good. It's like the newer characters, the voices are different, the music is different, and then like the tone. The tone. I'll just say one more thing, and and then we'll we'll move on. So the uh, just on the oiled up Norgahide, um, I wonder if um, if the creators had in mind the sequence with uh, Jace, Jason Statham from. The Transporter, which was released in 2002, where a similarly uh, oiled up Statham was uh, in a in a right uh, in a in a in a action sequence uh, where where he was yeah the enemy combatants were you know struggling to to get hold of him because he was uh, oiled up. If um, if Norton and Seely want to do this in this issue, uh, I think the fight needs to be a little more between like the two of them. And not a, a throwaway gag because I, I I haven't seen Transporter, but I get the sense that if Jason Statham takes the time to do that, like the the fight choreography lets us enjoy the bad guy's frustration as they can't get a hold of him, and like Statham's like getting a little bit more like cocky or like confident because it's like yeah yeah I'm gonna win this fight like I'm so smart they're like oh, I can't I can't, but this one goes by so fast. If it's gonna be like actually as not not a silly thing that Nagahide does, but a smart thing, because it's like, well, what should he use in a a cooking in a kitchen? Like, oh, uh, shortening grease. It's like, oh, well, now you gotta like actually make good use of it. Tim, did you have any more ice spies, um, or did you point out some? I uh, I have a I have a question for an ice spy. Um, what is the thing on? <laughs> Page one, panel one, all the way on the top left, it's uh, there's a billboard that says coming soon. And it looks like Devil's Due has comped in the cover of some other Devil's Due comic. And I can't tell what the word is. A, B, G, and then a symbol and then something mm-hmm. MS. Ab- is there some... I'm sort of wondering if like... Oh, I'd have to bat- look at like their... their- you know uh, yeah what else the publishing catalog for that that period yeah and and usually i'd think like oh maybe this is for like micronauts and it's like oh i can see the logo on the back cover or there's an ad but it's so small you can't make it uh so that's an i spy that i i can't i can't actually i can't make out i have Um, a couple i really liked in one i think it was yeah the first time that firewall and diana are are watching tv i love that Diana has an I love New York t-shirt on just because, um, you know, if she just came to America on a whim because she's going to be a Joe, she's probably not going to have that many clothes, you know? So yeah, she would be wearing clothes that look like a a tourist. So I thought that was kind of neat. And And their base um, is in the Americana museum. So possibly poached from uh, a gift shop of the the Americana museum. And then the other one was but uh, page... also immediately behind D- Dana on this panel uh-huh. as well. There's a nice little um, picture of a fraction of the original yeah. team. That was I had that in there, but I, I will yeah, skip that. I'm gonna add a I'm gonna add a tiny I spy since Jay just mentioned the panel where Firewall and uh, uh, Dana are sitting next to a vending machine, and the choices <laughs> in the vending machine are water, water, yojo, cola. <laughs> Uh, root beer and yojo cola and my last i spy on page 12 when the dog throws up on roadblock just like 
Lard ass throwing up on Bill Travis in Stand By Me. Hmm. Okay. I've got some post-its on uh, on Mainframe's desk. We've got uh, Git New Comset for Spearhead and Gumbo in Gung Ho's laptop. Please fix. There were a lot of little in-jokes in here. I like the idea that uh, Mainframe is bored or like a nerd or underappreciated. I think the idea that he would have some kind of outburst or behavior that a couple other Joes walking by would notice, I think that's fine. I think, you know, the, this these characters, this book can have a sense of humor, but it's, it, you know, where do you place that on the continuum of, you know, broad humor or uh, much more like refined or specific humor? Uh, and I'll clo- close it out that we've we've obviously got one of the main characters here is... Miss Dimples, the lactose intolerance, uh, vomiting pug dog, and uh, and Mike Norton uh, went on to make as his you know signature character uh, a pug centric book, Battle Pug. Uh, that's that's good. Oh wait, do I do we have one more? Almost we, I think we do. Okay, um, second to last page. First panel, the next day, Roblox looking over the uh, somewhat destroyed uh, set, and there is uh, a janitor sweeping up behind him. And I think this is kind of the Viper from The Viper is Coming. Again. Uh, uh, You know what? Maybe I take that back. Because in the cartoon... Oh, you know what? I take that back. The cartoon, he has glasses, and he's short. And we actually have... Haven't we seen him? Yeah, we saw him in the the bar... um... The bar sequence. Okay. Homecoming when... story arc? Was that what that yeah. was? Yeah. All right. Sorry. I'm going to take that back. I'm going to say this is just a not not a caricature, but this is Norton drawing sort of a more specific person as a background character than sort of any generic person. So I, I take that back. Okay. So I think that's us done with the with the issue. It just leaves to uh, look at a Yo-Jo score. This is, it doesn't sound like it's going to be pretty. Um, Tim, why don't you go first? Four... Four. I've I've said everything I need to say. Four. And Jay? Jeez, I gave the last one four. I do like this one better than the last one. And like I said, the fact that it reads like an episode of the cartoon really uh, allowed me to forgive a lot of the shortcomings. You know, it wasn't like like the last one where we had, uh, you know, a story which could have been like, should have been deadly serious, you know, that the art was kind of miscast. This is just it basically hits everything it's trying to do. It's uh, it's you know, it's it's cartoony, it's it's sitcommy, you know. So you're able to forgive a lot of the stuff. I wouldn't mind reading this one again, you know. Uh, I'll say five. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's in the same boat. It's not maybe it's not my cup of tea for GI Joe, but the the art is nice. What it's trying to do it, that generally does fairly well, even if it's if it's not kind of gi joe story that appeals to to me so so yeah it's 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 fine but but not necessarily a, a story that that i'd go back and seek out in a reread so let's say five and a half for for me so that is us wrapped up with frontline we can uh, close the book on that uh, this is the sound of me actually closing the book closing the final issue of frontline next to my microphone here we go 
<laughs> See, that wasn't that wasn't quite as weighty as my 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 closing of the book because I've got a, a custom bound hardcover, uh, so it's a little bit more. Probably weighs like five pounds. Yeah. Um. So so very good. Uh. We'll we'll hop on back to to reading the main uh, series, picking up with uh, with issue twenty six. But before we get to that, we will have. A, a golden joe's where we can pick some highlights and lowlights of the 18 issue frontline uh, run so look forward to uh, to that cool so uh do you think uh, have we got uh, enough time for a second round of squidjuenjo yes everyone's new favorite uh, game show so uh, last time we looked at uh, Squidmark. This time my questions are about Captain Squidiron, the famous G.I. <laughs> Joe American football themed uh character he's, he's he, got he these grenades these characters <laughs> he's got these grenades that are they've got little handles and they're shaped like crab cakes <laughs> okay so i've got a few questions for I you think i know what character uh, which, you're talking about uh uh relatively obscure so, so <laughs> don't look him up because you'll find the answers to some of these I won't, questions I won't. I'm but, not looking um, anything up. he's like a, a kind of green character he's kind of got an american football style helmet and he's got these these grenades shaped like miniature american footballs i think i had that character oops i just gave uh, i just gave away the answer to my first question ask (laughs) it anyway ask it anyway so tim a low ball uh first question to you what is unique about captain gridiron's grenades Uh, (laughs) an easy one they are they are shaped like crab cakes (laughs) incorrect they're in the shape of american footballs (laughs) Jay, <laughs> that was a trick question. <laughs> Jay, how many detachable thrown g- grenades and rockets are there? So, how many uh, small pieces of kit has Captain Gridiron got that can be easily lost and inflate the uh, in price on the secondary market when it comes for resale uh, thirty years later? Oh, um, like I said, I, I I'm just from memory so i really don't even know i'm thinking maybe he's got three small grenades and then like two i, I don't know i have i don't, i'm gonna say uh four altogether. just as a wide guess can i jump in and jump in tim i think it's three grenades and four rockets on ding the ding ding it's a total of oh, okay seven. he had the gun that had like the yeah, yeah, okay. He would hold it with two hands, right? Yeah, it's got like a a thing at the front that that's got a grip on it. Yeah, so two-handed grip. So, uh yeah, two grenades on his leg, one on his backpack and four rockets on his weird-looking gun. And then one more okay. grenade on his dinner plate because, <laughs> because it is a he, crab cake. Because he thinks it's cuz Captain Squidiron thinks next question. I okay. can't wait to go to Yojo or, or 3D Joe's and, and look at this guy. <laughs> he's he uh, he looms large for me because um, he's spotlighted in two or three Deke episodes. Okay, he's he's sort of the Duke of the first Deke season. So Tim, you know this guy so well. So this isn't going to be a uh, 
at all challenging. What is his primary military specialty? Oh, uh, is it is it something like distance munitions? Because he like throws grenades and he shoots rockets, right? Um, he does do that, but unfortunately, it's not his primary military specialty. Uh, oh wait, 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 wait. Um, uh, cooking. <laughs> That's the primary military specialty these days. No, sorry. Sorry. Secondary is cooking. Uh, primary is sports commentating. Jay, your, your turn. <laughs> your guess, Jay. Uh, shoot, I can't even think. Uh, drill instructor. It is hand-to-hand combat, my friends. Mm. Oh, well, that mm. makes sense. So, Jay, mm. what do you think brought him to the attention of the G.I. Joe team? Closest answer or uh, one that makes me laugh the loudest wins. Um, his unbridled brutality on the on the football field. They thought uh, if we don't scoop this guy up, the dreadnoks are going to get him. <laughs> that sounds like a good criteria. Red, <laughs> the dreadnoks get the best guys. Right. Uh, so isn't th- that's kind of why Red Dog joined the team, right? Because he got kicked out of professional sports, right? That sounds uh, plausible to me. Although I. I don't think uh, Larry Hama wrote the uh, file cards for uh, Slaughter's team there because those guys show up in the movie first. I'm going to guess his unstoppable sports puns <laughs> brought him to the attention. Man, you, if, listeners, if you have not, if you've not seen uh, Pigskin Commandos, a season <laughs> three episode of G.I. Joe where the sentence is actually coming out of my mouth, Sergeant Slaughter's sister is kidnapped by Cobra, and so the Joes play a game of sports against Cobra to rescue her. <laughs> you do not know Captain Gridiron. Oh, dear. No, the, the, he was brought to the attention of the G.I. Joe team by his odd-shaped balls. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was his determination. It was his determination to be where the action is. That okay, so that that line, that line. So uh, I I have never done a like specific like try to figure out exactly which uh, file cards Larry Hama wrote and which ones he didn't. But we know that some of the later ones he didn't write, and mm-hmm. you can usually tell. And uh, I don't have Gridiron's uh, file card in front of me, so I'm not reading the rest of it. But that sentence to me rings a little a little knot of the Larry Hama. Mm-hmm style of writing and either i feel like okay maybe gridirons was written by someone at hasbro or maybe gridirons was partially like edited and rewritten by someone at hasbro but this was a later figure wasn't it i mean there was a while a couple years there where where larry didn't write him didn't he say that he would write him for a while and then they'd fire him and and (laughs) the other people would (laughs) suck and they'd pay him more money to come back and do it Uh, he has said that and i i haven't again i haven't like sat down to read them all and try and parse it out based on like guessing and style or like asking him and other people who were at Hasbro. But I'm not clear on sort of like, okay, when he wasn't doing it, was this for like a couple of months and then it was time for the next batch and they realized that they wanted him to do it? Or was this like several years and they like came back to him? Uh, Yeah, this is uh, for the record. This is 1990 that uh, Captain came up. Okay, final one. Captain Gridiron does an imitation of a classic Hollywood actor, but which one? Hmm. And then that that does sound like something that Hama might write. This is uh, this is how they close out the file card. 
John Wayne. Oh, I was going to say John Wayne. <laughs> Are you both saying John Wayne? Seriously? Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. Oh my! Oh, nice. Yes. And neither of you are cheating. No. <laughs> no. no. What? How is no. that? You possible? said classic Hollywood actor. You think classic macho tough guy Hollywood? It's John Wayne, Charles Bronson, or Clint Eastwood. And John Wayne's nice. the original, so it's John Wayne. Yeah. It's whether whether it's maybe this isn't Hama. Maybe this is. Uh, you know, like not not necessarily Kirk Bazigian because he was now like several steps above this, but like uh, maybe I think was was Carl Fritz the copywriter by then, or was he was he on Transformers? I can imagine someone at Hasbro, like Jay just said, coming up with a short list, and you know they're not going to pick something like you know like Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> you know, or, you know, it's, or like Buddy Hackett, action hero. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a, an action hero. Excellent. So, uh, so that's that. That's it. That's the that's the end of my squid puns. But um, so, uh, I, will this continue? Uh, we'll we'll find out in the future. So, <laughs> any suggestions for? I'm squid, always up to be quizzed about squid, uh, squid you know, based GI uh, Joe names. Uh, we might we might try and eke it out even without squid the squid pun. We'll see. Yeah. So, uh, as I say, next time on GI Joe disavowed. We'll uh, be talking frontline for one last time as we award some uh, awards uh, in Golden Joes. And uh, then we'll all be back here for the first issue proper of the Brandon Jerwet era, uh, where he takes up the full writing chores for the main book with issue 26. And back on over on the regular show, we're continuing to cover ARA as it comes out monthly we've just talked about issue 287 with the artist billy penn and uh, next up is 288 with a spotlight on falcon so guys where can people find you tim my comic book store in somerville massachusetts is hub comics and our website is hubcomics.com and my gi joe blog is a real american book.com and it's probably worth pointing out to the listeners that, Tim, you have got quite a good selection of G.I. Joe comics and trade paperbacks and whatnot in your store. So if people are in the vicinity and they have not visited you before and they are G.I. Joe fans with some gaps in their collection, it wouldn't be the worst idea to go over to Somerville and visit your shop. Yeah, uh, and we we do have uh, many of the... Uh, 2010 continued real american hero issues which i know some people have a hard time finding or uh the prices are high on the secondary market Mm -hmm. and we have many of them and the prices are not at all high like sometimes they're cover price or a dollar wow you're sitting on a gold mine tim jay where can people find you um, like lurking around the corner uh, in Summersville at Hub Comics, waiting for the door to open because I want to get in there and, and check it out. Uh, people all, can all find the cool bookshelves and stuff. People can find Jay covering himself with Crisco <laughs> on the set of a of a live cooking show before a fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, that might work. Break room sketches on Facebook. Very good. Um, and you can find more about the show at the usual places talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to those places our facebook group where we discuss all sorts of gi joe stuff including the latest podcast 
so if you're not yet a member and enjoy the show, head on over there. Uh, we're Talking Joe on Twitter and uh, Talking Joe Comics on Instagram. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Talking Joe, uh, where if you want to support the show and chip in a few quid, uh, then you are more than welcome to join the likes of our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as a warm glow from supporting us. And that's us done. But remember, nobody beats Talking Joe, a real American podcast with a guy from England who can talk in American accent sometimes really badly. Oh, I want to hear that. Later, tomatoes. Um, so is her name Diana or Dana? Dana. I, I don't know. Dana. Okay. Yeah, D-A-I-N-A. Not Okay. Diana. What did I call her? Diana? You called her Diana and I called her Diana. Yeah, and uh, Yojo, she's Dana on JoeFandom.com. Joe.com. Okay. It's easily done because you don't you don't get too many Danas out there in the world that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, whereas there's lots of well, there's there's more famous Dianas, isn't there? A couple. Yeah. So I think our our brains just pass it, don't doesn't it? As uh, Diana. Must admit that's that's the way I mentally read it until I was <laughs> until I, I think I was listening to Talking Joe and they talked so about you it. You knew better. <laughs> and you go, oh, I've been mispronouncing this wrong the whole yeah. time. And now I know. That's why I was glad when the X Men movies came out, so then people would stop mispronouncing Magneto. Magneto. Right. Magneto.